Welcome to So Dead, a podcast that'll keep you up at night without even trying. I'm Jen Carpenter. And I'm Danny Fairman. Happy True Crime Tuesday. And happy Taco Tuesday, deadheads. This is a big week for us. It's a super big week. I'm excited and nervous. I'm nervous. I'm so nervous about getting the DP. (laughs) What we're talking about, guys, besides... The DP, apparently, is our live show. Is <laughs> this Saturday. Um, live from LA's The Heist is the theme so of our excited. first show. And we are super pumped, super nervous. My super palms are sweating thinking everybody. about it. We're going to have some cool merch for sale. We're going to tell some true crime stories, mm-hmm. have some tacos, do some fun little things, do a meet and greet, mm-hmm. I think some giveaways. It's just going to be a real cool time. I'm excited. We're yeah. going to eat tacos. Did you already say that? I said that, but we can say I think it's, it's worth, worth saying repeating. twice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have chips and salsa. Yes. It'll be great. <laughs> um, and for those of you that won't be joining us this Saturday, um, we've got another live show coming up in September, mm-hmm. and then we'll probably be planning something for our one year, which is at the beginning of the year. I'm excited. I know. Either way, I'm excited about all of it. I'm excited about all of this, all our of lives, it. all of it's this. Awesome. It's so freaking exciting. It is. So, in today's episode of So Dead, we're going to be talking about women who vanished into thin air while going about their daily lives, which the thought of that to me is absolutely terrifying. Super terrifying. I live now, I'm not really portable anymore, you know? I'm. I'd be hard to snatch out of thin air at portable. this age. <laughs> I'm thinking <laughs> a porta potty. No, I'm not really portable, but that's fine. It makes me safer, I guess, right? What do you mean by um, that? I mean, like someone couldn't just snatch, snatch me. you? Yes, they could. I don't think so. They could. But and if they wanted to, they would. The gas station near my home is also an overnight truck stop. And so every <laughs> time I have to go there... I am just on guard. I'm watching. I'm thinking of that movie. What's that movie with? Was it Kiefer Sutherland? Looks like somebody hit you with the ugly stick, Bob. <laughs> that one? Is no. that the one? The one where he... Is it with Reese him. Witherspoon? No, no. Oh, okay. Well, whatever that one is, is so worth... I'm going to have to look it that up. That one's Because freeway. I don't know if I'm right that it's Kiefer Sutherland. But what I'm... The movie I'm thinking of is where, like, he and his wife stop at a... They're on a vacation somewhere, and they stop at a truck stop. Or at a gas station that's also a truck stop. And, like, he goes in, and he comes back, and she's just gone. Mm. And the whole movie is, like, him searching for her. It's really fucked up. Well, I son can't. of a bitch. Oh, no, I don't By know the end of this episode, I will have the title of okay. that for you. But anyways... Terrifying, terrifying thought. Um, And I think as women, you know, it's always a fear. Mm -hmm. And so today we're going to dive right into that fear. Yes. So it was January 27th, 1973 in Owasso, Michigan, which is about an hour northeast of Lansing. Okay. Um, The weather was cold. The sky was abnormally foggy for that time of year. And 20-year-old Don Magyar of Chesney, which is like a stone's throw away town right, right. from Owasso. Um, she is a mother of one-year-old Michael Joseph Magyar and wife to Donald Magyar Jr. Okay. Um, she's a recent graduate of Corona High School and described as five foot seven, 120 pounds, and beautiful with dark blonde hair and blue eyes. 
I've seen a picture of her. She was gorgeous. Mm, well, we'll make sure we put a picture. Gorgeous. Of her. Yep, absolutely. Um, on this day, Dawn borrows her father-in-law's truck and heads into town in Owasso to do some shopping, which is something we do every day, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe not in Owasso, but we shop. Um, her first stop is J.C. Penny. She shops for a bit, buys a few pieces of clothing, and then heads to Stadium Plaza to buy some groceries at the giant supermarket on M52, which is the main highway through Owasso. Okay. If you've ever been to Owasso, you just know M52 runs right through it. Okay. Um, she buys her groceries and loads them in the truck, and after that is where the mystery begins. She doesn't return home that night, and her husband reports her missing immediately. The next day, her family finds the truck still parked in the plaza parking lot with the keys lying on the ground nearby. The clothes Dawn bought at JCPenney and the groceries she had bought for her husband and son were still sitting on the front passenger seat. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But Dawn was nowhere. Almost right away, a search party is formed and over 4,000 people showed up to help search for her. Mm. I'm going to just step back for a second and can you imagine 4,000 people? So this in Owasso, not, this time this four thousand person mob is doing something productive. Something productive, right? Good. Um, Owasso had a population of seventeen thousand in nineteen sixty three. Oh my gosh! So that's about twenty five percent of the town showed wow. up to look for her, and there was no social media back then, right? So word of mouth, like that, just gives me chills that that many people wanted to help and yeah. wanted to find her. Um. Unfortunately, the search, which lasted about a week, turned up nothing. There were no leads and no signs of Dawn anywhere. Until about five weeks after she went missing on March 4th, a group of farmers were tapping trees in a wooded lot in Saginaw County, about 15 minutes west of Owasso, for maple syrup when they came across Dawn. Wow. Mm-hmm. Dawn lay on the ground, lifeless frozen and still dressed in the same clothes she was wearing the day she was last seen. Mm. She'd been raped and shot three times in the back and head at close range with a 22 caliber handgun. Because her body was frozen, it had preserved the evidence left behind by her killer on her body. Awesome. In 1973, that wasn't much of a thing, but mm. the police were forward thinking. Yeah. And they collected I think that's amazing that even though that, you know, DNA wasn't quite a thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was it completely was different they than what it was. It was. Coming. Mm-hmm. They knew that, that the technology was on its way and they started right. preserving this sort of evidence. Yeah. So the police were able to collect the evidence that was carelessly left on her. Um, suspects were questioned, but no one was ever charged for her rape and murder. Her son grew up. And her husband remarried. A few years after her death, her wallet was found in a nearby pond, as well as the gun that was used to shoot and ultimately kill her. Wow. Uh Uh-huh. In 1995, the police were able to trace the gun back to Yuma, Arizona, where it was bought by Robert Shaw in 1965. Oh. Interesting, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Shaw was married at the time and admitted... His wife admitted to having an affair with a man by the name of Jerry Wingart. Okay. 
Though Shaw did not know Jerry, it was assumed that he had taken the handgun during the time the affair was going on. So Shaw's not a suspect. It's no. the lover of It's the, the lover wife. of his wife. Right. Interesting, right? Wow. What an interesting what a connection. Twist. Right. How pissed did he have to be at his wife? Not only did she cheat on him and her boyfriend stole his gun, but now they've got the cops knocking on the door because they think he's a murderer. Right? I'd be so pissed. Oh. So Jerry's described by his high school classmates as someone who is universally admired as a gentle, considerate, intelligent, highly moral role model Doubt with it. not a vice to be found. Doubt it. I bet you he had some vices. Well, he was also a graduate of U of M and described as a tall white guy. That is strike one and strike two. Yep. I'm just kidding, U of M fans. I'm just kidding. And there are some great tall white guys out there. Yeah, there's a few. <laughs> Um, so Jerry marries his high school sweetheart, Susan Garns. Together they have one son. In 1960, they are involved in a really bad car accident that leaves Jerry with chronic back pain, and his toddler son tragically dies. Oh, that's awful. Terrible. I have one question. Yes. Did Jerry get a head wound in the accident? I mean, he probably hit his head. There we go. <laughs> Right. Head trauma. It all comes full circle. So soon after, Jerry and Susan get a divorce. Some say the loss of their child was too much to bear for their relationship. And others say that Jerry just really changed. So over time, Jerry remarries three times Hmm. and also runs into trouble with the law. In 1961, he robs fellow U of M student of his car, and then rapes his date after stealing the car that they were riding in together. So he stole his car and his date. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. When the victim testified at trial, she said that he had made it clear that his intentions were to kill her. He was convicted and served a short sentence before being released. How did she get away? Doesn't say. Like, he didn't kill her. Well, right, but if his intentions were to kill her, I wonder mm-hmm. how she got away from him. I never found anything on that. It was, unfortunately, her story was a little it glossed was a over. Piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was pretty common. Where you, right. I find that a lot where I'm researching stories and I'll find something super interesting. And you have and 100 a hundred questions. And then I'll try to look further into it. And sometimes I'm able to find mm-hmm. great information and sometimes there's nothing. And that's really frustrating because it's like that's right. important and that's a significant thing that happened to this person. Right. And instead, you just made it a sentence. Right. But because they think she's a surviving rape victim. That too. They're not going to share they too protect much. A lot. Yeah. I, I would think And so. I respect that, too. Yeah. I mean, that for sure. But I would think that when yeah. someone escapes a murderer, like, yeah. talk about she was a badass somehow. Right. She was she a she-tiger. What'd she for do? Sure. Yep. Um, In 1982, he was also accused of raping and killing a 16-year-old girl in Ionia who was jogging on the side of the road. In Ionia. In Ionia. There we go. Um, He had picked her up in his van and committed the crimes in there. Police brought him in and charged him, but the judge quickly dismissed the case because they didn't have a warrant when they retrieved the evidence from his van. Oh, my God. I know that part's sickening to me. So now, back to 1995, when the gun is traced back to Jerry, the police close in on him, but need to collect DNA evidence to arrest him. Because it's 1995, and we are progressing in the DNA. 
like that was the OJ times. Right. You know, like it was very new to us. Right. But it was a thing. Mm -hmm. The police were on it. Um, So they get a cigarette butt from Jerry's trash on the side of the road and retrieve the saliva from the end of it. They also run his DNA against the DNA collected from Don 28 years prior. Mm. And it's a match. They finally have Don's killer. Jerry is prosecuted and convicted of first-degree premeditated and first-degree felony murder. He's currently serving life in prison in Lakeland Correctional Facilities. Some of Jerry's friends still write him in prison because they still think he's a great guy. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. While they're writing him, one of Don's former classmates from high school wrote a screenplay and made a movie based on the events of her murder. Guess who stars in it? Who? First of all, it's called Ordinary Killer. Okay. Is it like a movie movie? It's a movie. Or like a made-for-TV movie? Uh, Can you buy it? Can you rent it? Do you know? Did you I, watch it? I did didn't watch, watch it. it. I should have watched it, but I did not. Some of these older movies are hard to get your hands they on. They are hard, too. But I bet if you search on Amazon. It's called Ordinary Killer, and it stars... I'm going to guess that you can find it, because it stars Dennis Haskins. Mr. Belding. Mr. Belding. Please tell me he's not the killer. Do you know? And I told you I didn't watch it. <laughs> well, I really hope Mr. Belding's not the killer. I hope not either. That'd be weird, Maybe right? he's the cop. That'd he's be great. the cop that cracks the case. That'd be nice. That would be nice. That's all I'll accept from him. Right. <laughs> but that's the story of Don. Yeah, that's so it's upsetting. such a sad, tragic story for so many people. And the jogger on the side of the road, too, she never got her justice, you know? Hmm. I mean, he's behind bars now, but... Yeah, I have an eerily similar story for you. But before that, I told you I would find this, and I found it. And You I'm- did. Super pissed at myself. <laughs> it was Kiefer Sutherland. It's called The Vanishing. It came out in 1993. Hmm. But the girlfriend that gets picked up from the gas, kidnapped and disappears from Who the is gas it? station is fucking Sandra Bullock. Oh. Like, how did I not remember that part? Do I remember this movie? I, I bet I saw it, but I don't remember I'll tell shit you about why it. I didn't remember that part. Because I probably saw it when I was 13. And Kiefer Sutherland was famous in 1993, and she wasn't yet, I don't think. So her name wouldn't have stuck as much. That's that's what I'm telling myself, because otherwise it's inexcusable that I didn't remember that it was Sandra Bullock. (laughs) I know. I love her. That's the movie. If you haven't seen it and you'd like to add a new fear to your life, um, The Vanishing. Okay. I'll watch that, An Ordinary Killer, and Freeway. Freeway. That's the Reese Witherspoon one. Mm-hmm. That's a crazy movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me hear yours. All right. I am going to talk about the 2013 disappearance of Jessica Herringa from Norton Shores, Michigan. Norton Shores is a quaint Lake Michigan beach town. It is located in Muskegon County near PJ Hoffmaster State Park, which have you ever been to Hoffmaster? Oh, yeah. I was really young. So, so I, we, my memories are very foggy. Of we it. went there. We've been there several times. It's a big state park mm-hmm. um, beach on Lake Michigan. Yep. The thing that kills me about it is the 
walk to the beach and then the walk back. <laughs> it's a long walk in a lot of sand. The dunes are right there. So it's a big incline after you've been at the beach all day and you're fucking tired and you're hot and you've got sand everywhere. Mm-hmm. You have to do a Stairmaster for like, like a, 20 An incredible to place to go. But when you're like us and you don't want, it's like Mackinac, yeah. like great place to go. If you Not like to walk a lot. for me. Right. Different anyway. strokes for different folks. That's right, girl. Um, so, um, yeah, we've been there um, to the beach. We would go. Our, our standard trip, if we could make it through the whole day, was go to the beach early in the day, stay there until the kids were driving me crazy for food, um, get changed. We would go to Dog and Suds which is like a drive-in restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, there used to be more of them around the state, and they have like their own root beer that they make and cool. Coney Dogs. That's like and nip and sip here. It's, yeah, and so you park outside at like a little window that you order at. It's just mm-hmm. adorable. So cute. And the food's like good. The roller skater girls yeah, would come out. They don't, they're not. I don't think they're on skates, now that I think about it. Maybe when we went... Them. I don't know if it was Dog and Suds, but when we went to Mackinac, we ate at a place that was just like that. And I think the girls might have been on roller skates. I pick that's how I'm picturing it now, but I could be making that up in my head. I could head be making that up too. <laughs> anyway, go um, on. But yeah, so Dog and Suds, and we would eat there, and then we would go to the drive-in. They have a big drive-in mm-hmm. theater there, so it was a whole like nostalgic, cool beachy day, summer, summer experience. Um, so we've been there many times. In 2013, 25-year-old Jessica Herringa lived with her fiancé and young son in a small rental home in Norton Shores. Jessica was petite and classically beautiful, blonde hair, blue eyes, but she had a bit of an edge to her, and you can kind of see that in the Mm -hmm. photos of her. Mm -hmm. Um, Her three-year-old son, Zevin, was the love of her life. Zevin's father, Dakota, to whom Jessica had recently gotten engaged, was a close second. The three loved to do things together, often spending long days at the beach. Um, Jessica enjoyed her job. She worked at the ExxonMobil gas station in town. Uh, She liked the flexible hours. She loved the people, but it was not her long-term goal. She wanted to go to college and become an accountant. She loved numbers, and she was really good at math. Uh, She often worked the night shift alone, which caused her loved ones to worry for her safety. Uh, Sure. But Jessica was feisty and unafraid. Norton Shores was a small town, and she knew all of her regular customers by name. It was one of those regular customers, a man by the name of Craig Harpster, that first reported Jessica missing on April 26, 2013. The ExxonMobil station on Sternberg Road closes at 11.30. At 10.55 p.m. on the night of April 26, Jessica sold a lighter to a customer. It was her last registered transaction. Shortly after 11 p.m., Craig Harpster arrived following his shift at the factory across the street. He and Jessica had a system. He would pull up to a pump, she would see him through the window and activate the pump, he would get his gas, and then he would go inside and pay in cash. But this night, the pump didn't activate. Craig went inside and found Jessica's purse sitting on the counter and the cash register's till slightly ajar. But Jessica was nowhere to be found. So he called 911 at 11.07 p.m. Police arrived 15 minutes later and surveyed the scene. 
All of Jessica's belongings were still there, including her car parked outside. The till was open, but it was full of cash. Jessica's purse with her car keys and $400 cash inside was untouched. This wasn't a robbery. This was something much worse. Canines tracked Jessica's scent to just outside the store's rear entrance where police found a small amount of blood, later determined to be Jessica's, and some firearm accessories, although I never found anything that specified what they found. What is a firearm accessory? Like, like what's it an was example? pieces from a, an add-on part to a gun, but I never saw oh. anything that specified what exactly they found. Interesting. Um, Police called Jessica's fiancé, Dakota, because, of course, it's always the husband, right? Mm -hmm. It's the fiancé. Not this time. Dakota and Jessica shared a car and a cell phone. Jessica had taken the car to work, and Dakota had been at home with their son all night. It was his turn to have the cell phone, and phone records confirmed that he didn't leave the house until police called to tell him Jessica was missing. And he had to get a ride for that. So. Police were able to track the phone. The phone was at the house all night. He was at the house all night with their son. And then when the police call and say Jessica's missing, he got a ride to come up to the station to see what was going on. Police then called the store manager, Sue Follett. They wanted to see the surveillance tapes. They had narrowed Jessica's disappearance down to a 12-minute window, sometime between 10.55 and 11.07. Mm-hmm. But there were no tapes. Because Jessica worked at the only gas station on the planet without a surveillance system. Of course. Sue did have some useful information, though. As luck would have it, she and her husband drove past the gas station during the exact time frame Jessica went missing. They saw a silver minivan pulled up behind the station where deliveries are usually made. But the store doesn't get nighttime deliveries, so they thought it was suspicious and that someone might be stealing from the store, possibly with Jessica's help. They pulled into the parking lot to get a closer look. They saw a man close the hatch on the minivan. It popped back open. He adjusted something inside and closed it again. Then he drove off. Sue and her husband got a good look at the man in his van, but not his license plate. Oh. To me, like the guilt mm-hmm. that they must feel. I, I know. It makes me sad for them. I have mixed emotions. Why didn't she go? If she thought someone was robbing or stealing from the store, why didn't she go inside to check on Jessica? They just left. She knew that that Jessica was there working by herself. She didn't. But she thought Jessica was helping. Still. I mean, that's your employee. Mm -hmm. You've seen this strange thing happen at the end of the night when you know this young petite girl is working by herself. I think there was a responsibility there for sure. Not that I'm blaming. Um, You know, she couldn't have stopped anything by that point anyway. She was was gone. But still, it's very strange to me that she thought something was happening and then she did not go check on her employee. Um, And didn't take the license plate down. That part's a little weird. Yeah. So police were somewhat optimistic at first. They had a small window during which Jessica disappeared. They were pretty confident on what happened. Someone had forced her out through the store's back door and forced her into a waiting minivan. They had the vehicle description. They had a suspect description. But those leads went nowhere. Large-scale searches were conducted by police, Jessica's loved ones, and the entire community. Her face plastered store windows all over West Michigan and news broadcasts all over the country. 
Everyone was looking for Jessica Herringa. But the days turned to weeks, the weeks turned to months, and the months turned to years. Three years, to be exact, with no answer to the question, where is Jessica Herringa? And then on April 16th, 2016, almost exactly three years after Jessica's disappearance, a frantic call was made to Muskegon County 911 around 9 a.m. A 16-year-old girl who had been at a party the night before got lost trying to walk home. Hmm. Um, She'd been wandering down rural roads for over five hours when a man pulled up. Yeah, she got that lost. So she probably didn't know where she was or miscalculated something, but she'd been wandering through the woods for five hours. Um, When a man pulled up alongside her and offered his cell phone, but said she had to get into his van to use it. Uh Uh-uh. Obviously not a good choice, but the girl was scared. She was exhausted. She needed help. This was the first human she's seen in five hours. (laughs) Right. So she's not going to... And she's how old? What do you do? She's 16. Yeah, that's young. So I'm sure she knew that that was not a a normal thing and not a smart Mm -hmm. thing, but it was her only thing. But out of desperation, yeah. Right. It was the only thing. So um, she gets in the van, um, and then the man's like, nope, my phone's dead, and takes off driving, locks the doors, and wouldn't stop the van when she asked him to. Um, This part, I only read this version of it one time, so Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell it. Um, She gets out of the van somehow. Some people say she unlocked the door and jumped out and rolled out. I did read one article that said that she convinced him that she was hyperventilating and couldn't breathe, so he rolled down the window and she jumped out the window. Jesus. Either way, way, that's scary. She got out. The van's in motion. She's out of the van. Right. She gets up. She's scratched and bruised. She takes off running. He stops the van. She turns around to look, and he's standing in the middle of the road pointing a gun at her. Oh, my God. It's like um, from a scary movie. I know. She's in there in the woods. Oh, my God. She starts screaming. He's got a gun. He's got a gun. There's a house nearby now because he'd been driving with her for a little while. So now there's a house. Um, She runs to a nearby house where a woman was having her morning coffee out on her deck and they called 911. The girl gave police a description of the vehicle, a silver minivan, Mm. and it was determined to be a Dodge Caravan. Police compiled a list of all the Dodge caravans in the area and showed photos of the owners to the girl. Among them, she found her kidnapper, 46-year-old Jeffrey Willis of Muskegon Township. The fact that Willis drove a silver minivan was not lost on investigators. They'd actually questioned him, along with hundreds of other silver minivan owners in the area, when Jessica Herringa first disappeared. Willis was arrested on May 17, 2006, on his way home from work for the kidnapping of the teenage girl. In his van, police found a ball gag, rope, chains, rubber gloves, handcuffs, syringes, a mask, a 22 caliber semi-automatic handgun, ammunition, and photos of women chained and bound. My God. Basically, a kill kit. Right. Um... On the computers in his home, they found thousands of pornographic images, many of children, kidnap and kill videos, images of women chained, bound and gagged, and a file labeled VICS, V-I-C-S. In the VIC file were photos of Jessica Herringa and another woman, Rebecca Bletch. 
36-year-old wife and mother, Rebecca Bletch, was jogging near her Muskegon County home the evening of June 29, 2014, when she was shot several times in the head and left on the shoulder of the road to die. A couple found her near death and assumed she'd been hit by a car. They tried to render aid, but she couldn't be saved. Mm-hmm. On May 18, 2016, Jeffrey Willis was charged with kidnapping, assault with a dangerous weapon, and two felony firearm car- counts for his attack on the teenage girl. A week later, on May 25th, he was charged with open murder and felony firearm for the death of Rebecca Bletch. Uh, the bullets found in his van matched the oh. bullets that had killed her. So they knew he did that. Nuts. Police believe he tried to abduct her, but when she put up a fight and refused to get into his torture van, he shot her multiple times and then just drove away. On June 23rd, so about a month later, he was charged with production and possession of child pornography for videotaping two neighbor girls under the age of 15 in various stages of undress when they used the bathroom in his home. Yeah. And finally, on September 20th, 2016, he was charged with the kidnapping and murder of Jessica Herringa, even though her body has still not been found. Hmm. Police believe he took Jessica to the home of his deceased grandfather, which he had turned into a torture sanctuary, to videotape himself torturing her before he killed her. He had thousands of torture videos in his possession at the time of his arrest. He was found guilty for the murders of both Jessica Herringa and Rebecca Bletch and is serving multiple life sentences at the Bellamy Creek Correctional Facility in Ionia. (laughs) He's in Ionia and he is 49 years old. So a lot of really weird parallels between the stories, right down to the jogger, right down to the wannabe serial killer found years later. Just kind of weird. So gross. It's so gross. It makes me so sad. It is really sad, and it's really scary. It's exceptionally scary. Because mm-hmm. you, it's a, it's scary. I'm sure. As I mean, it's scary as a woman, and I'm sure it's scary as mother of boys. Like, I feel like as the stepmom of a boy. There's that duty to, look, you're probably going to be stronger than a lot of women. And with that comes a lot of responsibility. Right. And that means that you're a good fucking human. Right. And when somebody says no, that means no. Or when they've been drinking, you just stay the fuck away. Right. And then as the mother of a girl, you still have like this other... Fear. Yeah. You know, like she's feisty, but Jesus, there are some crazy fucking people out there. It's really sad. Yeah. It's scary. (sighs) Let's do file dump. Yes, let's do it. Um, In the spirit of our live show, we're going to talk about the best concerts we've ever been to. That's me singing. (laughs) Maybe you guys can convince Danny to sing for you at the live show, and then the show will be a little (laughs) bit of a concert, too. Who knows? No. You have one? I have a couple. I've been to some good shows. Yeah. I really, my most recent, I love Pink, and I think oh, she puts on amazing. an incredible show. But the concert that really had me like, oh, my God, 
was it was my wedding gift from Dave. I got tickets. We got married in Vegas. Okay. And I got tickets to see Cher in Cher. concert in Vegas. And I'm a huge Cher fan. I'm like super <laughs> weird. I love Lionel Richie. I love Cher. I love Pink. You are in the eight. Well, I mean, Pink is current, but you love yeah. the 80s. Oh, the 70s. for sure. The 70s. You Cher love- was the 80s. And the 70s. Turn Back Time was 80s. Okay. But we saw her in concert and it was one of those like, because I was such a huge fan, the whole time I was just in awe. And she puts on a show. She's a performer. She puts I, on a yeah, show. Yeah, for sure. So that's my favorite. And you had tickets. You were supposed to go see her again, weren't you, over the winter from hell and you couldn't go because of the yeah. weather. I've seen her like five or six times now. Oh, that's like me with New Kids on the Black. I skipped this last one because I just don't. It was good. I've, I've you missed a good show. Yeah. Naughty by Nature was a little weird, though. I'm not going to lie. Even with the, like, I saw everybody's pictures. Mm-hmm. I had so many friends that went. And I just was like, eh, no, I'm okay. Mm. I had a good I've time. i enough. But I will say that Cher was my very fave. Top notch, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mine and the one that has ruined concerts for me forever. Oh, no. Like, I don't even need to go to them anymore. Uh, Adele. Oh, so I am a huge Adele fan. I think she's amazing. She is amazing. Times a million. Um, tickets for her show were real, real fucking hard to get. Uh-huh. Um, it sold out instantly. Yeah. So I um, had seen that she was going on tour, right? I saw this announcement she made about her tour overseas first because she did that first. And she had made a comment about how members of her like fan club would get first notification. I was like, oh, shit, I better join the fan club in case she decides to do one here. Right. So I joined the fan club maybe a few days before they were like, yep, we're doing a U.S. tour and ticket. Here's your code. Right. As if you're in the fan club, you can go online early, but again, no guarantee, right? Right. So, like, I had my alarm set. <laughs> I was on that Ticketmaster website. I had, like, four browsers going, two tickets, best available. And, of course, it was just kept refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. Oh, my gosh. And it gets to about the 10-minute mark, and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to get tickets. Like, this is not going to happen. I can try again in a couple days when the general sale starts, but this ain't happening. Right. Um. And then all of a sudden, one of them pops up. Oh my God, exciting. And they were third row tickets. Stop it. And I was like, oh shit, this is crazy, right? So I get the tickets. They were very expensive. I don't <laughs> care. I'm a big believer in like, within your means, obviously don't right. not pay your electric bill to do something, but <laughs> right. um, within but enjoy your means, it. like I've never regretted money that I've spent on an experience. You know what I mean? Yep, that's really good. I think those are the most important, more than material things. They're such good memories. So splurged, bought the tickets, um, and super pumped because then it sold out and everybody else I knew that wanted tickets didn't even get them and I felt bad, but I was still super pumped for me. Of course. Um, We get there and... Who'd you go with? uh, My friend Kelly. Okay. And I went. And we get there and it was at the... Auburn Hills, Palace of Auburn Hills. Oh, mm-hmm. which that they're is... getting ready to tear down down yeah. here in Detroit. Um, the way the stage was designed, it came out to a point in the middle, so it was like diamond shaped. Mm-hmm. So we were actually in the front row. We were closer to her than people in row one. Oh, because we like 
I could, not even joking, I could literally see her nose hair. There were several moments at which like I could have touched her, which would have been weird. So obviously (laughs) I didn't do that. But she was amazing. And Mm. to be that close to freaking Adele was. I know, I love her. Like, it was just wonderful. Her song should be our anthem for, um, like, if we do a ghost tour or something. Hello from the other side. <laughs> oh, my God. You're crazy. Wouldn't that be funny? It would be funny. That would be funny. That was horrible singing. It was Sorry. So, I'm telling you, our show's going to turn into a concert. So that's mine. Mm, so want their money back. No refunds, guys. Sorry. <laughs> so we are not going to be as wonderful as Adele or Cher, but we're no. going we're gonna to do our best. Yeah. I'm sorry. We're, I yawned. That's okay. <laughs> Should I say that again? No. Okay. Just keep going. All right. Um, Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon at Soda Podcast. You can also find us online at sodapodcast.com and email us your feedback and story ideas, please, to sodapodcast at gmail.com. Now get out there and shine. You magnificent what the fucks.